Welcome to ASRS's Journal of Vitreoretinal Diseases Authors Forum. I'm your host, Dr. Timothy Murray, Editor-in-Chief of JVRD. On each episode of the JVRD Authors Forum, I will interview innovative retinal researchers on their studies featured only in JVRD and how these studies will impact our patients' care in our clinics. Tune in to hear directly from investigators about the clinical implications of the newest and highest quality research in the field of retina. On this episode, we'll be discussing the article, Socioeconomic Disparities in Patients Receiving Intravitreal Injections for Age-Related Macular Degeneration Amid the COVID-19 Pandemic. Our co-author, Dr. Zhujing Jen, who is an assistant professor at Boston University, has joined us today. Thank you for joining us, Jing. Thank you for having me. It's really great to be here. The COVID-19 epidemic changed our world in medicine in the United States. It changed our world in ophthalmology. I'm always amazed that I believe that the retina um, subspecialist that will be listening to this really played a major role in continuing to manage their patients through the pandemic. So I think that's something first to say is how well we did um, relative to maybe some of our colleagues in maintaining our, our patient care as, as sort of an urgent approach to management. So what, what drew you to looking for these disparities? I mean, it's sort of exactly as you sort of just said. As retina specialists, we know just how important it is to have regular monitoring and treatment to maintain vision for our patients with wet AMD. We know that if they skip these, they're going to lose vision. So when sort of the rest of the world shut down, when access to a number of non-emergent medical care was limited, the retina surgeons, we, we forged forward, okay? We provided services when a lot of other people did not because our care was urgent or emergent. Um, so despite providing these services, studies have shown that many patients did not access care. So what I wanted to do with my co-authors was to look at um, sort of reasons and factors for why certain, um, basically explore why patients may not have access care and to see whether it led to vision outcomes. It, it's interesting because in one of our other JVRD papers that looked at the pandemic, they looked at um, the Cornell University Redness Service. They looked at the service um, in Boston um, and then they looked at the Miami practice and all three of these major practices had very different approaches to how they manage their patients. So it was pretty obvious that there were differences in how offices were providing care, but there was also obvious there were differences in who was coming to our office. So you tried to look at focused disparities and, and used a socioeconomic driver. What made you choose that? Well, the practice that I primarily practice in, Boston Medical Center, it's the largest safety net hospital in New England. So we serve a large um, population of patients, very diverse patient population. So understanding socioeconomic factors, the social determinants of health, these key words, this is crucial to the mission of the hospital and crucial to understanding how to best provide care for my patients. So it's just a very natural question to ask in our practice setting, essentially. So how did you define what you were going to look at then as 
as sort of what would normally be a hypothesis generator. What made you choose socioeconomic disparities and how did you approach your data set to look for that? Gotcha. So we looked at um, factors that were commonly explored in other uh, paper, papers concerning social determinants of health and just kind of took those factors, essentially. We looked at age, sex, self-reported race, ethnicity, um, self-reported primary language, marital status, um, insurance status. We have a large um, Medicaid population, actually, on um, distance from clinic. And the distance from clinic was distance from um, um basically how much they had to travel, essentially. Appointment location, we had three sites in our study. One was our hospital-based um, eye clinic, and then two sites were sort of more um, small suburban clinics that mimic maybe more traditional private practice setting. And then also a socioeconomic, um, uh, socioeconomic uh, index called the ADI, the Area Deprivation Index. Um, the Area Deprivation Index is a validated index that it's used in um, a lot of research. And it basically looks at factors and gives a, gives a relative measure of socioeconomic health. So it sounds like you, you had a very good idea, even without sort of having a, a hypothesis about what you wanted to look for. And, and as you said, you tied it to pre-existing research, which I think all good studies and, and good investigators do. Um, it's interesting because you included three practices. And one of the things that was discussed from, from the Boston group in the paper that was published was that they had differential access to the hospital and to the clinics. And they noted that many patients would not come to the hospital but were willing to come to the clinics. So do you think that confounded some of your study or did that group in because you're looking at all three practice sites? So that was actually a conclusion we drew from our study. So we actually looked at that and we also found um, univariate and multivariate analysis that the, appo uh, the appointment location was a factor. And I think we can all hypothesize on why that may be. First of all, our urban-based um, clinic was in the hospital, and it was a mini COVID center actually in Boston, our hospital. So one could—it's—it's it's not surprising patients didn't want to come. Um, transportation was also an issue. A lot of the bus routes were stopped. Bus routes were altered. A lot of patients come to the hospital using buses. So those are things that you could consider were definite factors. Well, it sounds like you spent some excellent time before you engaged the study thinking about how to design it. Um, and then you appear to have looked at all the relevant variables. So take us through the data analysis. Where did your data come from? How did you analyze it? And, and what were your early conclusions? Sure. Um, this was a retrospective study. So we did a chart review, essentially. And we took all patients who had been getting intravitreal injections for neovascular macular degeneration um, and had an appointment for an injection during a 11-week period from March to May in 2020. So that was sort of our overall arching um, inclusion criteria. Um, and we chose that period because that was the time when our governor declared the, um, it, it was, there was a mandate that we could only offer emergency care at that time. So everything else was basically put on hold. So we chose that period. And we also excluded patients that did not have follow-up after that period. So that may have been a small bias in our, in our population. And we split the, the patients into two groups. One was a show group, as in they came to their appointment in that 11-week period. And then one was a no-show group, as in they did not come to their appointment in that 11-week period. 
And then we took the demographic features between the two groups and compared them. And that was one of our analyses. And you did this using an electronic medical record, or did you do this um, the way we used to do research in, in an old-fashioned approach to looking at every paper chart? It was all electronic, but we had to do manual chart extraction. There was not um, sort of, if we just use billing codes and such, we, we used billing codes to help us, but we really went through the charts and extracted all the different information and really made sure that things were being collected correctly. And, and I think that's important for people that are, are new to this is that there are strong benefits to having an electronic medical record, but often the data is, is not as precise as we would like. So you did what I think is ideal, which is you took your data set, screened it through your EMR, identified who was eligible and ineligible, and then went to those charts individually to abstract the data. That's um, that's probably, to me, best practice for this kind of trial. It's a little bit more legwork, but with motivated co-authors, it's certainly doable. And so take us through your data collection and, and then the early analysis. So we had three questions. The first question was whether the pandemic affected uh, visit adherence. So for that question, we took our population of patients in 2022 within that 11-week period and within that group, we found, I think it was 149 patients that also had appointments in the same time period in 2019. And we looked at whether this patient population um, showed up in 2019 compared uh, and whether they showed up in 2020. And we found for that same patient population, so people with the same demographic backgrounds and everything, there was a five-fold difference. So five times more people showed up in 2019 compared to 2020. So that answered one question, which is yes, the pandemic had some association with, um, you know, decreased visit adherence. So that was one question. The second question was um, looking at the demographic factors, which is the the sort of the, the meat of the paper. And we did univariate and multivariate analyses. And on univariate analysis, we showed that um, self-reported race, ethnicity, language, and appointment location, those were statistically um, significant between the two groups, the show group and the non-show group. And then when we did multivariate analysis, the self-reported race ethnicity dropped off and really only language and location um, were left. So finally, does it really matter if patients come to their eye point or not? It doesn't matter if it doesn't cause a vision problem in the long run, right? If they just skipped in and everything was fine, who really cares? So our final question was to really look at the effects of missing their injection appointment in that 11-week window on their six-month visit uh, vision um, visual acuity and then their one-year vision acuity. And we found that, you know, by and large, um, fewer people had vision loss if they came to their appointment at six months and one year. If you would have hypothesized the way to look at this, that, that would have been my hypothesis yeah. and that would have been supported by pre-existing literature. But you did a very um, elegant study to look at that. Were you surprised because in many of the other papers that have looked at this, self-reported race does play a, a, an outcome um, in a significant way, even with multivariate analysis. Do you have an understanding of why that dropped out? I don't know for sure because it's a retrospective study and obviously the, the powering is limited, right? Like you're not completely powered to answer all questions. But one thought is that, you know, race, and we mentioned this in our paper, sort of race and ethnicity as sort of defined by a shared culture or defined by a phys, uh, physical trait. Um, if people see disparities in that, 
is that the root cause or or is something else sort of affecting that? So say, you know, certain groups are not doing as well as other groups in one aspect. Is it because um, of their race and ethnicity or is it because their language barriers keep from keep them from doing well? And I think in our paper, it suggests that maybe it's the language barrier um, as one possible explanation. So I think as you know, I think in the media everywhere we talk about all these disparities and it's all just so important. As scientists, we really are able to dive deep and try to find the root causes. And my paper is just one population of patients in a very specific practice setting. But I think, you know, doing a lot of research in this area and really looking for root causes and trying to find interventions that address the root causes, that's that's important. That's that's time consuming. That's difficult. But that's what's going to help us find solutions. So, Dr. Chen, when we look at that, I, I agree with you. I think the interesting part of this research is where we take the research and, and what insight does it give us for strategies to minimize disparity? So where do you think from, from your um, study, where do you think some maybe low-hanging fruit would be to address these disparity issues? Any thoughts? So I think the transportation issue is a major issue that just anecdotally I see affect many of my patients. Um, you know, patients come with on the bus and the bus doesn't come here on time. So there have been um, places where they actually have hospital-based buses where they carry, like the hospital actually um, actually takes charge of transportation for a certain group of patients. I think things like that can really help people. So for instance, people who can't come for surgeries because they can't get there or they can't go home and things like that. If there's any way to have a hospital-based transportation system, I think that would go a long way, at least for my patient population and something that we kind of talk about often. In terms of languages, you know, I think a lot of it is just people who don't speak English, they, they can't, it's hard to navigate society. We have a lot of science in Spanish in the city, but that's pretty much it. A large portion of the, you know, the immigrant population in Boston are Haitian Creole speaking. They're, you know, Cape Verdean speaking. They can't, they're not able to navigate um, the streets. So if we can, you know, even as a hospital, give more information in their own languages, that would be really helpful. I just know in our own clinic, we strive to do that, but we fall short very often because it's very difficult to give information out in four different languages. Well, also during the pandemic, we limited accompanying persons. So in my clinic, I almost always have someone with my 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 patient, particularly with my um, more elderly patients who can translate for me in whatever language is primary. And I find that hugely helpful. But I do know that in Boston, I think, and also uh, in New York, they limited the access to the patient themselves. So you may have eliminated the person that could have been your, your intrinsic translator. We actually have so many non-English speaking patients that it would almost be impossible to have in-person translators for everyone. There, I think the statistics are 50% non-English speaking. So we have a phone translation system which actually works very well most of the time, but every 10 patients, you're on hold for about 10 minutes and that just drives you nuts. So, you know, having better access to these resources and really figuring out ways what, you know, to have these resources be robust, um, that would really go a long ways to, to helping everybody. 
And since your paper really focused on, on neovascular age-related macular degeneration, we know you're looking at a, at a more elderly population in general. I think that's a particularly um, at-risk group. Um, and, and I think it does deserve the kind of focus that you've brought to the population analysis with, the, with this paper. So I applaud you. I think you did a really nice job. I, I think it gives you much insight. Um, and it really sets a foundation for allowing you maybe to look in, in broader areas um, where you could have maybe more power in your analysis to, to drill even deeper into the areas that, that look concerning. One of the things that ASRS has done and published on is looking at the positive public impact of anti-VEGF therapies. And I think the issue that you and I feel most uncomfortable with is knowing that there are patients that would clearly benefit from therapy who don't have access to our clinics or our offices. And I think that's really a major um, socioeconomic disparity that needs to be addressed in a positive way. And uh, Dr. Chen, thank you for joining us with socioeconomic disparities in patients receiving intravitreal injections for age-related macular degeneration amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the JVRD Authors Forum. You can watch and listen to more episodes on the ASRS YouTube channel and on popular podcast directories, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Visit www.asrs.org forward slash JVRD forum on the ASRS website to learn more. See you soon.